welcome back to the What The Folk Sunderland Preview Podcast. It's been almost three weeks since Sunderland last played a game, though hopefully we will return to face Northampton Town this weekend as a healthy COVID-less squad, shall we say. Um, and to chat about the game on Saturday, which hopefully will be played, I am praying that that is going to happen, is Charles from It's All Cobblers to Me. First and foremost, mate, how was your Christmas? How are you doing? Are you all right? I'm good, thanks, Graham. Yeah, really good Christmas, thanks. I uh, was a bit unwell, but um, we're through that. It was just cold, thankfully. None of this uh, other nonsense flying around or anything like that. Um, and um, the Cobblers managed to win a game on Tuesday night, so I am very happy. I like how you, you already second-guessed what my next question was going to be when you said you were ill. <laughs> you just like, knew it was coming. It was like, oh, what? okay, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Always preempt it. It wasn't that. It definitely wasn't <laughs> COVID. Um, we'll start off with COVID, which brings us wonderfully onto that. I, like I said, I don't think any of us want to talk about it, but I suppose it's, it's the world over, and it's definitely a conversation to be had in League One. So the past few weeks have been essentially tons of teams not playing because of COVID, our team being one of them. Loads of different situations, none of it making much sense, some of it making total sense. With Sunderland, we played a game and then got loads of plays with COVID. It was just crazy, the whole lot of it. But as a fan who's actually managed to watch his team over Christmas, and one of the few, what have you made of the situation uh, of all the other teams? Oh, it's mad, isn't it, really, when you think about it? I mean, we've been, I say lucky, I think we've kind of escaped it because of the fact that, don't quote me on this, I don't know this for definite, so please don't sue me, anybody, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we're not really being tested. We're certainly not getting tested the same amount as like the Premier League clubs are. Yeah. Um, you know, whether we're even having weekly or bi-weekly, I don't know. So it could be a case of that, you know, COVID's rife, but we don't know about it because nobody's having any effects from it. And, and and nobody's you know sort of showing symptoms so therefore it could be a case that we're, we're just lucky in that respect and um you know it, it's one of those I mean at the end of the day I think looking back at our results over Christmas especially pre-Christmas um it might have been nice to have actually had those games off we got thumped 4-0 twice in a row um Boxing Day was was marvellous not um but, you know, it's one of those where you've just got to kind of look at it and just sort of say that we're okay. This is actually going to be the first time that we've come up against the side where we're not really 100% sure whether the game is going ahead. Yeah. We're pretty confident that it's going to happen now. But, you know, at the moment, who knows? Who knows what might happen? Um but with a team like Sunderland, it's a game that for us, we obviously want to play that game. And we'd love to be playing it in front of fans. That's definitely not going to happen. We'll just have to wait for our, you know, turn in front of the Netflix cameras come the end of the season, I think. That will just have to wait. Fingers crossed they never, ever venture into Sunderland again because call me... Um... Call me superstitious, but it never seems to go to plan when they're in there. So, uh, fingers crossed, this they stay out of it. But you, you're right in what you're saying. I mean, it is. I think it is different. And again, don't quote me on it. I don't know, but it is different to the Premier League, where I think since the beginning they've pretty much had testing on. I think it's a weekly basis. And at the same time, I think we've all known people who've really suffered from the effects of it. Unfortunately, sometimes in some situations worse. But we've all known someone that's you know tested positive and gone. Well, I feel absolutely fine. So. It's it's hard to judge, and I suppose 
specifically in most cases, younger people like footballers and people who are athletes, do they have it and stuff like that? So the Premier League, they can be tested. But like you say, it, you just don't know. It's such a difficult situation at the moment. And one of the big conversations around it is, should there be, as they call it, a circuit breaker? Sam Allardyce is all for it. Um, I tend to agree with anything Sam Allardyce says, if I'm honest <laughs> with you. So I'm going to just go with him and say, yeah, let's do it. Um, but do you think a circuit breaker is the right thing to do? A few footballers have said no. Oh, it, it's it's hard. Um, I don't see how two weeks is going to suddenly change everything yeah. I, I think at the end of the day if you look at the clubs that have had postponements in league one due to covid um Sunderland Ipswich um which was our boxing day game that that didn't happen um Peterborough spit on that but they're all the bigger sides in this division now is it a case that they've got more money as a, as a football club, as a business, and therefore they can afford to have their players tested on a more regular basis? It's, it's all conspiracy, I know. But that, that might be something that is there. Whereas lowly Northampton, we just don't have the money to be, you know, shipping out for, what is it, 22-man squad plus staff to be tested, you know, once a week, let alone even, even more. So... I just don't see really how any any form of break other than a curtailment, full on, stop the season, forget about it, will actually do anything for, you know, to, anything with regards to this virus. It's not about, I, I feel like I'm getting on my pedestal here because I, I don't want the football to be stopped. You know, yeah, same. Yeah. it's just been announced that that we're going into tier four. So it, it's one of those we're we're literally going back into the same sort of lockdown that we were in back in March. I, I think that's what it means. Um, football will at least give us something to look forward to, whether it's watching it. Well, it'll have to be watching it on either the TV or watching it on iFollow. And so I don't want it to be stopped. But at the same time, I, do, I look at it and I just think it's a bit silly to think that stopping the game for two weeks will mean that in two weeks' time, everything will be fine again and, and they can just carry on. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to stop the virus spreading in, in, the, in the space of two weeks. It's just not going to happen. And I think it was one of those quite strange things last night we played Gillingham and they didn't bring BBC Radio Kent, didn't bring a team to do the commentary. And it turned out that, it was our commentary, BBC Radio Northampton, would be it was being played on both Radio Northampton and Radio Kent. And what they did to sort of compensate for that bias, if you like, I mean, we're our commentary team is quite neutral, actually, if you listen to it. Um, but what they did was they had a member of the club staff from Gillingham on the commentary team. So there was our normal commentator with one of our former players, Kevin Wilkin, who manages Brackley Town now. Um, and then this guy from Gillingham, and I think from their media department. And it was very odd, but it, it makes you realise, well, clearly the BBC aren't sending people outside of their Tier 4. We all know Kent's been in Tier 4 for ages. So um, why are we allowing the footballers to move around the country? I, I, just 
you know, it doesn't make sense. But then again, I don't think any of it does. And there's going to be so many different arguments to it. And, you know, so many, you know, I don't want to start a conversation, which means that your listeners are going to start going, well, he's an absolute idiot because, you know, we should just be getting on with it or, you know, anything like that. I don't know what the answer is. I'm just saying that I don't think two weeks will help. No, no, I I don't either for what it's worth. I think, I think it was Gary Neville said something and Jack Willish has replied to it on Twitter saying a hundred percent agree. And it's along the lines of if you're stopping it for two to four weeks, it's not really going to make that much difference whatsoever. Like it kind of almost, but like you say, you can't, you can't go right for going wrong and you can't go wrong for going right at the minute. There's just so many different answers and so many different angles and pretty much none of it makes sense. Um, but hopefully in a way we have two, like 22 healthy players and, and subs and stuff and everyone else. And we can play the game on Saturday. Um, talking of sort of Northampton, obviously you played the playoff dramatic in in a way end of the season because of no fans and the situation the things we've just been talking about um but moving away was so slightly from that situation but also staying on topic in a way what was it like to see your team win at Wembley for one because some that don't really see that but without fans most importantly oh yeah it was really weird it was great but it was strange I mean we've been quite lucky I think in my lifetime supporting the cobblers in that we've been to Wembley four times now so 97 and 98 97 was the what was division three so league two now uh playoff final which we won um thanks to a a 93rd minute free kick um from John Frame and then the following year the division two playoff final we lost to Grimsby uh 1-0 I went to to both those I was I was quite young and then we got back there in 2013. Uh, A.D. Boothroyd was our manager back then. We had Bayo Akinfenwa playing for us, um, who just ridiculously didn't get picked to start. It was, yeah, it, we'd lost that game before we even, you know, took to the pitch. And it was one of those. That it wasn't a surprise when we were 3-0 down to Bradford within about 25 minutes or something like that. It was dreadful. Um but those three, I'd been to all three of those and they were great for different reasons. I mean, the, the 2013 game wasn't particularly great, but the build up, the traveling down on the train, the, the, you know, the beers in the pubs and, you know, spending 400 pound on a pint or whatever it was <laughs> that you had to, you know, pay to get just one round in. But I mean, it was, it was good. So to then go, you know, fast forward to, to 2020 and, and the club were at Wembley but we're, we're not there to actually witness it face to face. It was really strange. I mean, we did we did try to compensate for that as a podcast. So we did um, some live streams, both pre-match and post-match for all three of the playoff games. Um, we did that through our Facebook page and that went down really, really well. Um, and on the, yeah, post-match show if you can call it that uh it was it was basically me being very drunk i think i went through a whole bottle of gin our chairman turned up from his um uh came in from his home in florida i think he he lives definitely in the states um and he was on the beer we were online until like two o'clock in the morning something like that it was 
it was ridiculously good I, I don't remember much of it if i'm being honest it is there on our facebook page i've not yet ventured back to look at it um but it was good we got a lot of um you know good come from that in in regards to you know our fan base appreciated the fact that there was us doing that there was um our, our normal pre-match dj so normally on a match day if you were able to come then outside the main stand um we've got the cars bar and it's got a decking area outside and for the last year or two years we've had a dj uh, on the decking playing some tunes hyping people up he he did a live set pre-match on facebook um to try and get everybody into into the mood and being able to watch it um so a lot of things were done and the club did really good as well in terms of their community outreach and, and what they've done since with that as well so the fans still feel involved i i think in a way the fact that we had uh, what was it two games i think we ended up managing to have fans back in the stands for in a way it was I'm sure it was good for those fans that managed to go, but in a way, I, I actually look at it and go, it was two games. It's kind of teasing. It's dangling that carrot in front yeah. of people. And because we've got more season tickets, just like you, I imagine, I'm pretty certain that you'll have more than 2,000 season ticket holders at Sunderland. But, you know, it, it's it's that thing that I think we've got something like three and a half, three and a half to 4,000 in that bracket of season ticket holders. So the way it worked was through a ballot system. And of course, the first game, you know, was only a, a tester. So only a thousand fans could go. And then people were promised that you will definitely be able to go to the next game. And some of them did, but there are fans that still missed out because of the, you know, well, the, the lack of numbers that were allowed to, to go. So it does feel a little bit like the, the carrot was dangled. Some got to go I think we lost both of the games. They weren't particularly great. It was the fact that we were able to go was was more the 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 pull um, than the actual performance and the results. And I I just think that it's it's one of those I'd have personally because I didn't go anyway. I can, it's easy for me to say this, but I'd have personally have, have preferred it if they'd have just said no. Yeah, it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of sad when you see fans on it. Like I I watched the Liverpool game and. There was like two thousand or so in in the cop, and it was just just bizarre. But I, I do commend Charlton fans for booing their team off the pitch the first game they got back, and then also like some of them leaving early. And I know a few Charlton fans have always had really good experiences with them, to be honest. But I almost was like, ah, that's football. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I don't think there were any boos as such at Sixfields when when we lost our first game back with fans, but it was all over social media we weren't very happy with our performance the way that we've been playing hasn't been pretty on the eye at all it's been a real yeah real hard work to watch the cobblers this season um but i i, I don't know it, it's it's that thing you go to the football having not been able to go for nine ten months I kind of, I, I do get it. I get why, you know, it's funny that Charlton got booed off. But I just sort of think, you were able to go for the first yeah. time. Can you not just enjoy the fact that you're back at the football, regardless of the result? I mean, I know that there will be people that, that are in the Cobblers fan base that if they heard me saying that, and I'm pretty sure I've said it on our podcast, um, you know, I'd get loads of, you know, people 
slagging me off on on Twitter and, and Facebook and stuff. I'm, I'm not really bothered. That's my opinion. That's you know their opinion is that you know the opposite, and that's absolutely fine. But I do think it's I, my my thing is if you can't say something nice, just don't say don't anything, say anything at, all. at all. So don't clap them off. That's fine. I, I, I've done that plenty of times where we've been awful. I haven't booed, but I have just refused to clap. And I, I think that that's that's what I do. That's that's my own way of going for it. Charlton fans, go ahead, boo for your heart's content. I, I don't mind, honestly. It is funny, but yeah, I, I wouldn't like if it was us doing it. It's a it's a funny situation because obviously we had this situation with uh, with Phil Parkinson, and I think actually coincidentally enough because Charlton's game was MK Dons, I think, and we lost two one at home to MK Dons, and I think there was an article that came out and said, you know if. If there was fans in the ground, I don't know whether Parkinson would have lasted this weekend. And there was, and you know, lo and behold, he didn't last much longer. But it is a kind of valid point because Sunderland fans, I, I think everyone knows, are very vocally passionate. And if we see something that's not going right, which I'll be honest, Phil Parkinson wasn't going right for a long time, um, he would have been told about it pretty fast and he might have actually disappeared a bit sooner than he did. But talking of Northampton, you said it's been a bit of a the slog, shall we say, to watch your team this season. One thing I sort of noticed, I'll call it doing a looting in a sense. You went up, but then you lost basically your better players. Um, Charlie Good being the main one, that was someone I think Sunderland were looking at. Um, I think you lost your goalkeeper to Ipswich. There's been players that have went from the team. I mean, there's a, a list as long as my arm, if I'm honest, of players coming in and going out. Um, what was the reason for those departures? Was it just they were... A better level in League One and, and the kind of came to fruition in League Two, but got a move to the Championship. What what kind of surrounded those departures? I think there's there's lots of different reasons based on which player it was individually. Um, just to sort of go through, I mean, Charlie Good, he was always going to be picked up by a bigger club. Um, it was a club record fee. I think up to 1.5 million is what we will eventually get with all the clauses that are attached and everything. Um, so that that was something that I suppose we have to be consigned to. We were always probably going to lose him once um, bigger clubs showed interest. That's fine. Can't begrudge him that move whatsoever. Um, you mentioned Di Cornell, who's gone to Ipswich. His, his time at Sixers was up, I think, in fairness. Um, he was a real split-the-fan-base player. Um when he first joined us, um, it was um, it was after we'd been promoted to League One in 2016. So the season that we'd been promoted, Chris Wilder was our, our manager. Um, and we'd had um, Adam Smith in goal, who was one of those players that, that was in the youth team for Leicester. Do you remember when they went to Thailand and naughty things happened? Oh, I remember it. Unfortunately, yeah. very, very well. <laughs> so he was one of the players that was actually involved in that scandal. I think it's not whatever you want to call it. Um, that that business. Night um, out. He, yeah, night out, yeah. Um, he was our goalkeeper, our number one choice. And we also had Ryan Clark. Now, both of those goalkeepers were new to us that season. We thought Ryan Clark was going to be the number one. Wilder surprised us by putting in the youngster. He had a great season. He was really, really good. Um Ryan Clark moved on the end of that season, um, needed to get game time, 
think his dad had passed away as well that season. It wasn't the best of times for him, um, for the guy. But fantastic professional. Can't say anything bad about him. It was just, I think he went on and, and wanted a new challenge. Absolutely yeah. fine. So then David Cornell was brought in as number two to Adam Smith. Um, and this was by Robert Page, who is now Wales's under-21 slash first-team interim manager while Ryan Giggs is on uh, naughty gardening leave. Um, so he came in as a number two, and he didn't manage to oust Adam Smith for the majority of that season, even though Smith had a really shocking game against Man United in the FA Cup. Um yeah, David Cornell was always the number two. Adam Smith then left at the end of that season and has now ended up in non-league, actually. So maybe it was the right decision. And David Cornell basically took over as being number one. But I think that step up from being number two has always meant that in some fans' minds that he's not good enough to be a number one. Um, I remember seeing on Twitter lots of people saying that we'll never get promoted with David Cornell in goal. And... In a way, some of them have indicated by that because Steve Arnold took over, who is our number one now, um, took over for the playoffs for the second leg of the semi-final and then the final. Um, so Cornell was always going to leave, I think. And the fact that he went to Ipswich surprised an awful lot of people. Um, but I don't think he's playing regular first team for them. Um, I might be wrong. Um, but I think they've got two, maybe three excellent, or not excellent, but keepers that could do a job yeah they have um, i think that are being yeah. rotated between them so um with that it was difficult you've got players like alan mccormack who just getting on a bit and the fact that he's injured quite a lot of the time probably on decent wages as well meant that we couldn't really afford to have a player that wouldn't play every week like that um who else do we lose scott wharton member of our defense he went back to Blackburn on loan. He was on loan with us um, from Blackburn. He went back and has been trying to fight for a place in the Blackburn team this season. Um, the interesting one and the one that in hindsight seems like the worst decision is Jordan Turnbull. So he was the fourth member of our, our defence, um, if you're counting David Cornell as the goalkeeper. Um, he was released. And it was cited that he was on quite a lot of money and motivating him was going to be an issue if we gave him a contract that we could afford to. Um, so it seems a bit weird. The fact is he's ended up at, Sal at Salford. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's maybe gone and got the contract that he thinks he deserves. But in hindsight, losing that whole defence has just been bad and we've not replaced them. Not at all. I mean... We've got Kean Bolger came in. He's become our captain. I don't think he's captain material. Um, he came from Lincoln. Um, it, he's just not good enough, really. I mean, he's League One standard, I think, lower League One standard. But, you know, look at where Lincoln are now without him. <laughs> he's clearly yeah. not the best um, centre-back that they had. Otherwise, they wouldn't have released him. Um, Horsfall has come in. My word, from Macclesfield. That says everything you need to know. Um, Luca Ratchich signed on loan from Brentford. I don't think he was anything to do with the deal that saw Charlie Good go the other way. But, oh my God, it's just a, it's just terrible. Absolutely awful. He's not played for us since maybe October. Um, there have been 
Instagram pictures of him on match days with his feet up inside a spa, not the shop, you know, a, a, a sauna or wherever. And you're just like that going, what are you doing? You know, fine, you're not in the squad. There's no news as to the fact that you're injured. So clearly he's, he's just not been good enough. Um, we did sign Alan Sheehan back in October on a short-term deal from from Luton or having been released from Luton. Yeah. Um, he has done wonders. And you can tell when he's in the side with a different prospect. Leadership, just, just calmness and quality in the defence is what he provides. And it's brilliant. Against Gillingham this week, he was back in the side after a bit of an injury layoff. And he just commanded the back three. He was so good and it's noticeable as well. He's not that player. Like I, I think people used to say about Gary Neville, that he was one of those players that was solid, but he never did anything spectacular, but he was all guaranteed to give you a seven out of 10 every single game. That's what Alan Sheehan is, but you notice it because of the fact that we're so terrible everywhere else. And that's, that's the, that's the hard bit of it. I think um, just before we, we, played the game against Chillingham on Tuesday night we announced that we have signed Lloyd Jones another ex-Luton centre-back he also played and went straight into the side he did a good job lots of fans wondering whether he's good enough for League One we had him on loan for a period of time at the end of last season interestingly he was the only loanee that we didn't loan back for the playoffs we don't know why but therefore, speculation is rife that essentially he wasn't deemed good enough. So yeah. therefore... Why is know, he good enough now? Why, why is he good enough now? The other flip side of it is that Luton were playing in the Championship and the Championship were obviously finishing their season by playing the last, what was it, 10 games or so? Something to that effect, yeah. So maybe Luton needed him for their squad and he couldn't have played for both them and us in the playoffs. Um I, I don't know exactly, but obviously it doesn't make great viewing in the world of Twitter with the fan base with that. So, I mean, when it comes to it, a lot of the players that we lost were mostly down to, um, you know, loans being sent back. Callum Morton went back to West Brom. He was our star man in the playoffs, obviously, and he's now at Lincoln, albeit injured. Um, and yeah, the back four, essentially all being sold or released was it wasn't the issue wasn't them leaving it was the fact that we didn't replace them yeah properly that's the issue and the only other player was Verdane Oliver who signed for Gillingham and essentially they offered him more money I think and what can you do you you give him what you can afford to give him if somebody comes in and offers more you know at the end of the day he's 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 got a career to you know go through and to make as much money as he can in a short Oof. period of time. You can't let that down. So yeah, essentially money has a lot, you know, to do with it for us. We are a smaller club in comparison to Sunderland. We're a tiny club. Um, but I do think that league one should be our level. I don't think that we should be in league two. We are, um, we should be good enough for this division. We should be good enough to be finishing mid-table um, every year, looking to then push towards the playoffs and promotion. Who knows what could happen in a season? Um, 
but this year is tough really tough and you know the stuff coming out of the club is that covid's having a massive effect you know no fans in the stands means that you know we're not making any match day income there's no money coming in and yet there's thousands going out every single week on player wages staff wages um so it is tough so keith curl has got a big job on his hands we we look at it and we we worry because at the start or start of pre-season the thing that we said was that we must keep hold of keith curl um every time we've gone up before we've lost our manager chris wilder left for sheffield united um before that the last time we were promoted, Colin Coldwood left and, and became Nottingham Forest manager. So every time we get promoted, we tend to lose not just the players, but also the manager. And that's because of the stature of our club and how much we can afford to, to pay these people um, in comparison to the bigger teams. So to keep hold of Keith Curl and have that continuity was really important. I think his hands have been tied because of a lack of funds. I think the budget must have been slashed. And he'd already had a slash budget when he first came in. He's done a tremendous job. It's just that the football is not pleasing to watch. And that is causing him issues in the fan base with a lot of them basically turning around now and saying, I'm not enjoying going to the football. I mean, we're not going, but I'm yeah. not enjoying watching it. Watching it. So, you know, do I really want to watch it to pass the time or not? Because I noticed he had... Because from the outside looking in, which is always a wonderful place to be when you're not invested in a club, um, as I know as a Sunderland fan and on Netflix TV show and stuff like that. Um, but you do kind of form a, a vague opinion on on certain teams in the same league that you're in and, you know, other sides as well. And I thought, oh, he's doing quite well. He's lost like a lot of players there. There's a lot of players. And oh, like kind of what you said in a way, but in a very sort of diluted sense. Um, yeah, I've seen like a few fans putting a bit of pressure on him. And I thought... All right, fair enough. But, I mean, big win last night, but it did proceed to, obviously, two big 4-0 defeats. But nonetheless, you prefer it to be the other way around rather than talking about a 3-1 win two weeks ago. Um, you currently set, I think, 19th in the league. So when it comes to Keith Curl, if he finishes the season in 19th, surely that, that's job done? Or did the fans have a higher expectation than that? I don't think so. We looked at it pre-season and realistically thought that we would finish somewhere between 16th and 19th, or, well, 20th is the last space before relegation, isn't it? So anywhere in those four positions was where we were expecting to be. And I don't think the fans really expect any more than that. Yeah. I could be wrong. Um, I think it's more the expectation that we play a more attractive brand of football than we're able to at the moment I think that's what it comes down to it's literally what it looks like and we all go to the football if we could to escape the real world and escape the rest of our lives at the moment we're paying £10 a match to watch the game on iFollow in our living rooms or bedrooms or wherever and it's not really entertaining especially when you're getting thumped 4-0 um, but that is kind of the way it works if you go back to the playoffs the first leg against Cheltenham didn't work and we got beat but when it works it works in style as we showed in the second leg and in the playoff final so it, it's strange I don't think you're ever going to get with a Keith Curl side um, consistency on the basis of you'll go through a whole season 
playing really well or playing really badly. I, I think it will always be up and down. Um, and, and look, as football fans, for me personally as well, is that I enjoy winning. That's what matters. I don't really care that that we maybe had to, you know, shit out ourselves through to a 1-0 win or not. I, I, I enjoy the fact that we've picked up three points and we've won. Um, when you're losing games regularly, um, everything else is wrong, as I'm sure oh, guys know. So it's not just, um, you know, uh, you know, one defeat, you know, doesn't just mean that you're sat there going, oh, miserable because we lost. You're also then going, the stadium's not finished. Keith Curl, the football's rubbish. Um, the media manager's rubbish because he's tweeting rubbish or wh- whatever it is. Not that he does, Gareth, if you're listening. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's one of those where everything goes wrong and is 10 times more visible after a defeat than it is after a win. Yeah, and it's it's always magnified as well, isn't it? And it's it's funny how we trashed Lincoln 4-0, what seems like last week, but I think it was about a month ago now, and suddenly we were going to win the league. We got beat off Wigan the week beforehand, and it, it, things didn't feel too great. Um, I, I don't want to call it my favourite part of the podcast, but it, it's getting to that point with it. Um, as I said before, like you always have a viewpoint of mainly teams that are in your league and maybe a couple of teams in the Premiership and what's going on and you have an opinion based around what you've read, what you've seen and, and the kind of quest highlights that you see. Um, Sunderland, probably because of the size of the club, I feel like a lot of teams in League One have a lot more opinions about us than maybe other teams. Um, I don't know if that's arrogant to say, it just feels that way. But looking at Sunderland from the outside in, what do you make of our... I suppose our whole three-year, hopefully only three-year stint in League One so far. One word, shambles. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we probably agree with you on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're right. Look, you're not being arrogant. You're just being realistic. You are a big, well, you're a huge club for this level. Um, okay, so if we go back to to when I first was watching you know, football and learning about all the different teams that make up our our beautiful game here. You know, Sunderland were a champion or, you know, division one team. Um, Division one, as it was once called. eh? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, you know, sort of really good, really good, as we would say now, a really good championship side who then got themselves promoted. Did you get promoted and then go down and then come back up and then have the Kevin Phillips, Niall Quinn years? We did. We we went up um, kind of out of nowhere in, I think it was when Peter Reid took over, it would have been 95, yeah, 95, 96. We had a premiership season at Roker, got 40 points, which was at the time a record for what a Premier League club could get, but still went down because, well, ask Coventry about that one. They might know a little bit more about it. Um, you could ask them about it a few times, actually. But then we got <laughs> Phillips and moved into the stage of light and then yeah, probably the best four years of, of my lifetime supporting Sunderland following that, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of my formative years with, with football, I, I suppose, was was back then. And, I mean, that season when when Phillips and Quinn were just on fire was, was amazing and brilliant to watch. Um, but then, you know, you, you then go back down. And, I mean, to be fair, you, you became... Not a yo-yo club because it wasn't you. You weren't doing what West Brom do, which is spend a season in each division yeah. every time. Um, but you know, you, you'd go down a couple of years, then you'd come back up for a couple of years, and then go, and then eventually, obviously, we get to 
however many years ago it is now and you get relegated and then you get relegated again and everything is just going wrong but it seems that that is you know, you know you're obviously not alone in that you weren't the first club to have fallen from grace and you, you won't be the last either um but you're still a big club in the division I, I find it funny you know because I think a lot of the time especially when you're young if you turn around and you say who who's a big club and you know kids will say Man United Liverpool Man City Chelsea whoever and you then say to them well why and the kids will be well because they win stuff yeah obvious but you go a little bit further and the next thing that they'll say is well because they've got really big stadiums and that's what the measurement is based on is essentially how many people can you fit inside your stadium now I've been to stadium alike it's it's great it's lovely ground um would have been better if we'd have managed to win it on penalties that time but you know never mind Roy King was suitably unhappy enough so that's very unhappy yes Uh, but You know, it's a it's a big, big ground, and obviously, I don't want to say too big for League One because that maybe does sound arrogant, but it's certainly a, a huge stadium for the level of football that you've been playing at for the last few years. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I th- I think a lot of the time when you look at any of the clubs that are similar sized, and and please forgive me if if you think to yourself well we're bigger than them as I mentioned them. but I mean I put you in the same bracket at the moment with where things are as your Charlton's Ipswich um, Norwich to an extent uh, I, I mean you know you're, you're a big big club but you've had major issues that are just you know I, I, you know they're not solved overnight and they never will be those kind of things. I feel bad for mentioning Norwich now because obviously they've not been in any financial trouble recently. But you you look at all of those clubs that are now in League One and have been before. Sheffield Wednesday, um, who out Leeds, obviously, moons ago now. Um, all because of financial mismanagement. Can I, can I say that? Is that yeah, I, I would. I think it's with Sunderland, it's... A magnitude of things. I think sometimes it's it's the financial side of things. It's silly mistakes. It's recruitment. It's everyone probably can pinpoint a. For me personally, it's probably recruitment and having the wrong people within the club. Um, but there's loads of things you could go through. You could go from. I mean, you could write a book on something, and that's why probably Netflix, unfortunately, didn't go the way it should have gone. But it, <laughs> that's why it was as successful as it was, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think you could say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I just, you don't deserve to be in this division based on your name and your history. However, you obviously do deserve to be there based on what what's happened. You know, every club deserves to be in the league that they're in at the time that they're in it. End of. Um, and I just, I, I feel sorry for Sunderland fans. To an extent, um, I have to be careful because one of my best mates is a is a Newcastle fan. I'm afraid, so sorry about that. Kill me for saying this, <laughs> but um, I do feel sorry for you because obviously you've had to watch such a major decline and 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 have very little success. I mean, at the end of the day, expectations for Sunderland fans for the last three years has to have been to have winning League One, yeah. not just not just pl- promotion, but winning it. It, it, and it should have been 
comfortable. You should have been one of those seasons where you came down and you went, do you know what? This is going to be brilliant because we're going to win the league with 99 points or whatever. Every game's going to be a, not a walk in the park, but every game's going to be really good because we're going to be hammering teams. We'll get the occasional blip where we might, you know, draw away at Accrington or something like that. But it's going to be great going to all these smaller clubs that we've never faced before, or at least haven't done for 50 odd years or whatever it is. And it just didn't happen. And I think, I don't know if it was, if it was me, the, the comparison between uh, the two teams here with Sunderland and Northampton is that it's akin to us going and getting relegated to the conference. I would be going and saying, well, we need to walk the conference and we should walk the conference. We're far better than than that. And, you know, the fact that we've never been non-league should be testament to that. However, you just know that that won't be, won't be the case and that you'll, even though you'll be thinking going, oh, it'd be great, get to go to places like, uh, trying to think who's in the conference now, but like um, Gateshead and, and teams of that kind of ilk, you know, teams that you've never never played before we're never likely to play unless you got them in the FA Cup early rounds um and it'll be it'll be a great season out so to speak yeah but obviously that isn't the way that football works and it and it will never work like that and at the end of the day I think I think it's a, a travesty what happened because I mean if you look at it now and there's a lot being said about the what is it rescue package that the the Premier League should or should not be given uh, to EFL clubs, but just just look for a second at, at the parachute payments. Now, I mean, I know that they're more money now, I think, than when you got re- relegated. But to be given the amount of money that you were over a three year period, and to basically do nothing with it and spunk it all on flipping what's his face that decided never to leave ever again. I can't remember his name, Jack Rodwell, you know, and just, just, here you go, pal, have my parachute payment. Go on, <laughs> sit there in the, in the physio room for three years doing F all, you know, all of the, you know, it, it's, it's ridiculous. And don't get me wrong. If Jack's listening, I'm really sorry, pal. You're allowed to do what you want. You, you've got a contract, whatever. <laughs> Idiots that you gave you that contract to sign. <laughs> that, wish him, that wish him well. No, of course not. I, I just think you look at it and you go, overall, it, it's a complete and utter show. Yeah. It's a show. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it was like we've mentioned a few times, it was documented for everyone to see. And with the parachute payments, there'll be some people listening to this telling you where 20 million might have went, but I better, I better be careful what I say in here because, <laughs> because of one or two things. But um, one thing I do find quite interesting um, when it comes to like the game on the grass, which we podcast on podcast, you speak about less and less because of the way football is and the way the world is right now. But I'm always curious as to which players the opposition team fear going into Saturday. And it's getting less and less with Sunderland. Um it was I'm have to look at your squad now. <laughs> it was McGeady for a while, but it's got less and less. And now McGeady is obviously back in the squad. That changes things ever so slightly. But you do sort of look at that situation. And maybe the first season we came down, there was a pick of four or five players, Catamo, Oviedo, McGeady. Now you ask it, it's, it's very slim pickings. But if you were to choose one, who's the where, where could we damage you, do you think? Um, anywhere we're rubbish uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, if I 
because this is one of the things right so um i have watched all of the sudden until i die documentary um i watched it with with you know and, and enjoyed watching it for for many reasons you do look at it and go oh yeah there are there are players in your team i know not all of them are with you now um from the last series but you do look at it and go this what on earth are you doing down in league one with these players it just feels absolutely ridiculous um and granted this is all based on just looking at names and not knowing how they're actually playing for you but will grig for goodness sake what what's going on there is he is he just made of water these days that is a a long (laughs) another hour-long podcast (laughs) but i mean honestly i'm looking through your squad list now some of these names are ridiculously unbelievable for a league one team granted they might be old now and that's why they're down here but danny graham i mean goodness me ada mcgee you know grant led better um um max power that's another name um you know that, that that should be doing better than he is so many names in that squad and sometimes we we look through that squad and we go oh they're all rubbish but it, this is why i find it so interesting you'll speak to a fan and you'll go how the bloody hell are you not getting promoted like <laughs> it just becomes it, one of the situations it is i mean it's your- Luke, Luke 09, is that how you say it? Like a nine? Yeah, 09. No, you got it right. Most people get it wrong. But uh, he's currently, well, he was out with a dislocated shoulder, but that was however many weeks ago. So maybe he's fixed. And You know, the, there are names in this team that that really should be seeing you walking the league, in, in, in my opinion. Obviously, um, a bunch of or a collection of individuals doesn't make a team, which might be the problem. Um I suppose, I suppose for me, the, th- the danger men wise, the people that can do us damage, um, obviously depending on whether they are playing, but on, on paper, I would turn around and I would say probably Danny, Danny Graham, if he plays could, could cause issues because our defense is so brittle and so fresh, especially if you've got horseful playing, uh, for us, um, with with Bolger and um, well, if Sheehan's not in there, then I'll be worried. If that because uh, Danny Graham, they'll all be like glass to him. That that's how it would be. Yeah, I I mean, your midfield is what terrifies me the most because we don't. This this sounds harsh. It is harsh. We don't have a midfield because literally the ball spends more time up there, like you're at the tennis than than it does on the pitch so the fact is is that you will get it down and play um it'll be hard for you because our surface is terrible because we train on it as well as play matches um so you might have to contend with that but i'm I'm, I'm thinking of whole city posh um who else we've got charlton all all played us off the park on our pitch which is terrible condition um at the moment so i i'm worried about every whatever midfield you put out there will will be able to put rings around us it will just be um you know we'll be we'll be chasing shadows probably in that midfield um so yeah anybody that you put in there would probably be able to do that to us um yeah look i don't think it matters what side you put out i wouldn't be expecting us to win 
Well, fingers crossed that is the case. But um, are your predictions, man? Um, well, I think as much as I said, I don't expect us to win. I think the pitch is going to be a major factor. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And the fact that we obviously are used to it will help us. Um, I also wonder how your team are going to sort of, you know, fare and line up for us. How are they going to be prepared for us? Because every, every, every opposition fan that I speak to every time that there's ever an opposition manager talking preview wise in the media, they always say the same thing, which is that Northampton are direct and a, a try and bully you and, and all this, that and the other. And I, I take that, that, that is true. But therefore, I do wonder, well, are your management team therefore going to set up in a specific way to combat that? Is he just going to say, no, we're Sunderland and we play this way and force your game onto us? Um, and in which case, it then will become a battle of those styles and who will be able to enforce that style or impose that style on the other team? Um I'd like to say that we were quite good at doing that. We were last season, not so good at it this season. So um, I, I, I'm definitely worried. So I will go with a one-all draw. I, I just, I think we'll score first. In order for this to happen, we'll have to score first. And I think, because I think if you score first, then it'll be a whitewash. Um, I, I really worry that it'll be another four or five nil defeat. Um, but if we can get a goal and frustrate you, so I mean, the, the game plan guaranteed will be this frustrate the hell out of them for 85 minutes and basically look to look to win free kicks, look to win corners, anything set piece related. That's what we want, that's what our bread and butter is. And basically, we're going to try and score from one of those set pieces. And then it'll be backs to the wall. Hopefully we won't do what we did against Crew uh, three, four games ago now, which was we scored in the first minute from a free kick. And then we sat back and tried to defend for our lives. Crew won the game 2-1. Um, it was always going to happen that way. We scored too early, if you can believe that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, mean, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's what we'll look to do. And hopefully we won't do it too early. Um Look, if we if we do it around about sixty to seventy minutes, it'll be one all because you'll you will end up equalising, probably very very late. Um, I'd love it if we scored like a ninety first minute winner for one nil. It would just be brilliant, and we need the points. But I can't see it. I'm finding the prediction difficult. Normally, I have something in my head, but because we haven't played for that long, I haven't really thought much about it. So I'll go with the boring standard two one. I'll say two one us. But I've never been right at all this season at any point. <laughs> so, so who knows? I mean, who could have who could have foreseen getting beat off Wigan one week and hammering Lincoln the next? So, it's, I don't think it's my fault. I think it's just the uh, the Jekyll and Hyde of Sunderland. But, but Charles, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Um, I would normally wish you luck for Saturday, but that would be a lie. I do that every week. That would be wrong. Um, but good luck for the rest of the season following Saturday, apart from obviously our return game if we ever finish the season. Yeah, thanks very much for having me.